in the suburbs of Gotham City is the home of Bruce Wayne. Only the faithful Alfred knows what lies beneath the house. Those relentless crusaders for law and order, Batman, and Robin. Welcome to the latest installment of the Dork Knights, the podcast that the internet deserves, but not the one it needs. As usual, I am your host, MB, and joining me is the Oswald to Mike Kennedy, the Booth to my Lincoln, and the Ghetto to my Garfield, Birdman. I will kill you one day, just like those men killed their prey. Yeah, yeah. With I, my I can, sincere hope in life. I kind of expect that at this point. Although, I will, if I had a preference, I would want to go out Oswald style. Because I would have like a little short Jewish guy run up and shoot me in the gut. Now, I want you to go out like Booth. I want you to be dragged out of a barn and shot. No. You'll never take me alive. I want, like I said, I want the little Jew or nothing at all. You know, if I, I was thinking about this actually uh, a couple of weeks ago. If I was going to go out like anyone, like any historical figure, mm-hmm. I would probably go out like Blackbeard. Fucking A. You're goddamn right. Um, with like twenty guys just stabbing and shooting you repeatedly. Yeah. And you Fuck st- that. And and just still going. <laughs> exactly. Um, probably for me, my ideal way to go out would be like the way Caligula went out, stabbed to death by his friends and family. Because then I know they really care about me. <laughs> How do you know that's not going to happen? <laughs> well, like I said, I mean it's probably the most feasible way I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably go out like Kennedy, actually. Be assassinated by a complex conspiracy theory? Yeah. Well, a conspiracy, well, not a theory. Well, I was thinking of the motorcade, but yeah. Oh. I mean, I'll be I'll be driving along, I'll be shot in the head, and then you, the camera pans over and it's you with a shotgun smoking yeah, a cigar. A smiley face on my lapel for some reason. Yeah. And that was that. That's just that, let's let's step away from that because then we get in that long story about <clears throat> how I nearly raped a girl, and it just you know it gets weird after that. I I knock up a Vietnamese woman. There's a there's a James from Blow the Bible Belt. He's got a big blue penis. Yeah, right next to me. It's it kind of it's kind of a, a weird tale to tell. So yeah, I mean I mean all of this stuff has already happened, so it's kind of unavoidable. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't really go in. I don't really want to go into hero with a giant dong, a giant glowing blue dong. Let's let's just let's just think about that for a second and bask in it. I just imagine him just laying waste to all of Alabama, <laughs> as, like fifteen foot high. <laughs> uh, that's and the best part is there's no law against killing people with atomic superpowers in Alabama, so it's legal. Yeah. Speaking of superpowers and history, mm-hmm. um, I think once again we've reached that point. Yes, we have. I think once again it's time for another rousing edition of Historical Fight Club. Play the music, gentlemen. Welcome to Fight Club. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And we're back. Yes, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for Historical Fight Club. The uh, one, so, the one, hmm? so, Something you are always looking forward to. Something I'm, I'm seriously, this is like... I count down the the days. I'm like, oh, all right, let's do this. Let's do these three shitty things and talk about fucking Batman or whatever. Now, history, let's go. You know, <laughs> this is your time to shine. Exactly. You get Batman and all that shit. I get history. As far as you're concerned, this is just a history podcast. Exactly. With some other bullshit mixed in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Just just distractions for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm but, holding I'm holding you back with my talk of Batman and comic books. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you talk about things that you like? Yeah, uh, really. Get um, this joint podcast. Yes, exactly. But uh, no, this is historical fight club where we take people from history and do theoretical battle on a theoretical battlefield, theoretically speaking, of course. I like that you're uh, explaining it for. 
the listeners because you know you never know this could you be the know. first this some the poor first. soul could just stumble into this blindly yeah yeah come out and to them i say i'm sorry abandon all hope ye who enter here that's yeah. what i want to see but um okay well let's let's reveal our contestants for the okay. year um so first things first to kind of give you a mindset of why i picked these two people i was thinking about the other day because um it's november and coming up next month at the beginning of next month will be uh pearl harbor day and that is the day that you know the japanese attacked pearl harbor and the united states entered the second world war this will be the 70 71st year 71st anniversary of pearl harbor Hmm. And they got me thinking about World War Two and different things because really, World War Two is a is something a lot of people are familiar about. There's a lot of stuff that goes on to World War Two, but there are a lot of different aspects of the war that no one really knows about. So yeah, it's actually pretty strange when you think about it because when you think of World War Two, your first mindset really goes to the sort of the axis of evil. Yeah, uh, you know Hitler and Germany. And nobody yeah. really, like, Pearl Harbor really isn't the first thought that comes into anyone's mind. Yeah, just, I mean, that's kind of, like, everyone focuses, like you said, on Hitler and Germany, and no one really focuses on, like, too much, like, the the war in the Pacific that the United States fought and the Allies, and even, like, the Eastern Front. The Eastern Front was just a fucking brutal war that was fought by the Soviet Union and the, uh, the German Army, but, um... But I decided for because of the you know World War Two stuff coming up that I would take two people from World War Two, and this is I thought this was going to be a historical fight club first, but I forgot that our proto episode, the episode zero that we just discussed, like Hitler fighting Stalin, yeah, that was a case of two figures living in you know living in the same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, they never met, but they talked to each other like through communications and stuff, but um. But still, this is the second case of two people living in their own, living the same time period. And both these men are badass in their own way. Um, one man, as I mentioned to you the other day, was an unstoppable killing machine. And the other man could not die. And so I as, thought naturally... As I've been saying all week, the unstoppable force meeting the unmovable yes. object. And so, with that said, our two contestants for this fight... Um, in one corner, we have, I'm probably going to butcher this name. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation, but um, I may still get it wrong. Simo Haya. 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 Simo Haya. 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 Simo Haya. Simo Haya. He was a corporal, later lieutenant in the Finnish Army from Finland. And his opponent will be an American, actually. Private First Class Jacqueline H. Lucas of the United States Marine Corps. Hmm. And so, American versus Finn, both men existed at the same time. They are both alive at the same time. Both men fought very different wars, um, but they were separated by thousands of miles. So, theoretically, these two guys, at some point in time, could have met, could have fought. So, does that allure to it? Okay. But, um, so, naturally, you being the uninformed, I like to let you pick first. Who, well, these two men, which one would you like to know about first? Honestly, there's no way I cannot pick the Finnish guy. With, with a name like Simo Haya? Yeah. I mean, I gotta know about him. Okay. Well, um, uh, first things first, though, uh, as we always said, Simo Haya was born... In Finland, born in Finland, 1905, and he was a farmer most of his life. Uh, to give you a clue of what would come, when he was a farmer, he, he liked to hunt, and he won like a bunch of marksmanship contests and stuff over the years. Um, and he was in this the Finnish militia in 1939. He would have been, what, 34 at the time? 1939, and the Soviet Union invaded Finland in 1939, and it's called the Winter War. Uh, it was only it was a short, brief engagement. 100 days is how long it lasted, 
and it happened after the Soviet Union and the Germans invaded Poland. They were a lot allies for a little while, and so after they both fucked up Poland, the Soviet Union turns its eyes to Finland and invades. And so they thought, I mean, it's Finland. They thought, what is the Soviet Union? What the fuck is Finland going to do? You know, they're like, yeah, we'll fuck them up. But they were wrong. They were, they were so wrong. I mean, they're about as wrong as anybody could be because. They fucked up so badly, and the reason why they messed up so badly is because of two reasons, really. Um, prior to the war in 1937, Stalin, this may, this may come as a shock to you, but Stalin, um, he purged a bunch of people. He he persecuted in prison, killed a bunch of people. I know that's Jesus. very out of character for him. Oh my yeah. god, I would have never expected that. Yeah. But um, during the purge, the Soviet secret police, they rounded up about 30,000 members of the Red Army. They were either executed or imprisoned. And of those 30,000, most of them were high-ranking military officials. And so three years later, when they go into this war with Finland, they're, they're I mean, these these guys, their upper echelon, are, don't know what to do. You know, they're incompetent, they're rookies, they're fresh, and... um. Another thing that also messed me up was Stalin was very micromanaging. He tried to command the war from, you know, Moscow. Mm-hmm. And this past, that's always fucked up people. But um, what also messed him up was the winter that, that, that year. Because they invaded in November and March. It, the, the whole conflict lasted from November to March. And so the winter, there was, uh, you know, Russia, they're used to cold winters. But nothing like the way it was in this time period. The highs of the day sometimes will be negative four degrees Fahrenheit. Jesus. And so, you know, the Russians, like I said, they weren't used to it. You know, they were freezing their comrades off, if you will. Um, <laughs> but the Finns, yeah, the turn of phrase, the Finns. I mean, they used to this shit. You know, they were that <clears throat> they were used to it, so they could easily move and fight in it. So. <clears throat> Excuse me, that messed him up. And so, you're also in, in <clears throat> minus four degree weather. Yes, I'm freezing my comrades off. Blah. <laughs> so, with that in mind, um, like I said, Hale was he was in the military. He was in the militia, and so he was called up to serve. And so, he was like I said, he was a marksman, and he they put him into the field as a sniper. He had uh, an, a Russian-made old, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, this is a rifle type, Mosin uh, Nagant. It's a famous rifle of the Russians. Anyone in like Eastern Europe have used. He used his old his old rifle, and so he went into war. His He only had one goal, to kill as many Soviet troops as possible. And he did, and then some. Yeah, So I, during, I would imagine. And so, I think... I think that might be a little te- a good enough teaser to move on to uh, our other opponent. This guy was like the finished dead shot. So far, you don't know yet. I mean, you you have you. I have just barely scratched the surface with him. Hmm. And so I'll move on to our other friend, uh, Jacqueline H. Lucas. Uh, and so, do you have an idea about this guy? Just something. He he was a man born with the name Jacqueline. Usually, guys with girls' names tend to be pretty tough. Yeah. Just because they grow up with girls' names, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, he was born in North Carolina in 1928. And so, he was a cadet at this uh, military academy in Salemburg, North Carolina, when uh, Pearl Harbor happened. And <clears throat> he got pissed. He took it personal, like a lot of guys did that time. But after Pearl Harbor... Man, you couldn't stop guys from running out and enlisting in the army. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so he was one of them. But there was a problem. He was 14 at the time. <laughs> but it didn't matter because at 14 years old, he was five foot eight, 200 pounds. Okay, so, so he passed for like at least twice his age. He, he passed for 17. He told the recruiters he was 17. Um, he forged his mother's signature to enroll in the Marine Corps. And at 14 years old, they shipped him off to boot camp 
to Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, and so he goes through boot camp. And by the way, the Marine Corps boot camp is probably one of the hardest training things that a U.S. in the U.S. military has to offer. Yeah, even today. Even today, yeah. Back then, even today. But um, he passed it at the age of 14. Um, Damn. And so after he graduated, became a Marine, um, he still was 17. I mean, they didn't, they, they, they thought he was too young for combat, you know, little did they know. Um, so what they did was, um, they assigned him to like, he was doing just, you know, handiwork, odd jobs around Paris Island. That's what his unit did. And he was like, you know what? Fuck that. Um, I come, I joined the Marines to fight. And what he would be a you know indication of what would come, he abandoned his post. He left Paris Island and he caught a ride to Pearl Harbor. And he found like the first Marine Corps officer he could find, and he lied. He just lied. Said, "Look, I'm not supposed to be at Paris Island. I'm supposed to be here, Pearl Harbor. I'm supposed to be in a unit that fights on the front lines. Get me there now." And the officer was like, "All right, fine. I'll look into it." And the officer had him reassigned. He was reassigned to Pearl Harbor. But as a truck driver, this dude, he did not take that well. For years, he was uh, he was on Pearl Harbor, stationed there, and he kept on re- asking to be, assi- be reassigned. They wouldn't do it, so he, he got pissed. He started, I mean, from the ages of 14 to 17, he was arrested for all kinds of crimes in the Marine Corps. He was arrested for starting a drunken bar fight. He was disciplined for going AWOL. Uh, for abandoning his post? He went AWOL so he could go into town in Hawaii and meet some girls. If you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, one time, there was an MP, a military policeman, that found him walking through the barracks. He had a case of beer in his hands. And the guy tried to stop him. He was going to discipline him. And Lucas just punched him. And naturally, you know, he... He got thrown into the brig for all this. Tell me Jacqueline now, bitches. <laughs> and so what happened is, uh, finally he got pissed. So he said, you know what, fuck it. And he stowed away on board the U.S. Dulay, which, um, USS Dulay. It was heading to the Pacific. It was heading, it was transporting, it was coming from Pearl Harbor into the Pacific to take the 5th Division Marines into combat. So he stowed away for a few days, and finally, you know, he was scared to death someone was going to find him. I mean, you get in serious trouble for this. And so what he did was he uh, he um, surrendered to the officer on the ship, the senior officer on the ship. And so he's like, hey, you just, just let me fight. That's all I want to do. And so he's like, all right, fine. So he transferred him to headquarters of the 5th Marines. Because there's nothing you can do. You're on a boat. What can you do, you know? You can't really send the guy home. Yeah. So uh, he's transferred to the Marines. And the day before, uh, the ship is scheduled to land at Iwo Jima, which is pretty bad uh, battle. Lucas turned 17. And so he was getting ready. At, like I said, 17, three years of fighting and getting ready to fight. He was finally ready on the day he turned 17. They were getting ready to invade. Iwo Jima, which would be, like I said, one of the most worst battles, or one of the costliest battles for the Marines in the Second World War. Now, at this point, did they know his actual age? No, uh, no one knew his age. No one knew his age or after the war. Oh, God. Which I'll get to. Hmm. Um, so, back to our Finnish friend, Mr. Siwahea. As I mentioned, he was assigned to be a sniper in the Winter War. Picking off Russians and stuff. And so, <clears throat> he did. He did that, and then so, like I mentioned, um, pretty much what he did, give you an idea of what his day consisted of, he would dress up in all-white camouflage and go out through the snow in the woods. He'd have a couple clips of ammo, a couple rations, and then he would just hide in the woods, in the forest, down in the snow, and wait. Um, because all these... These territories, all this land that the Russians were invading, um, this was places he hunted. He knew these places like the back of his hand. And so he just would pick off, bam, 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 all the time. Um, apparently, uh, recorded his recorded personal best one day 
was he killed 25 men in a single day with a sniper rifle. In a and single day? In a single day, yeah. And keep in mind, a single day, this is the winter in Finland. The days only last a few hours. I'm not a few hours, but they, they last considerably shorter than they would during the summer. So he was able to kill all these men off in a relatively short amount of time. And, and he wasn't killed himself. He went, oh, Hold on. Just wait. Um, and so he started getting a nickname as the war went on with him killing so many men and stuff. Um, it's probably one of the coolest nicknames I, I've ever heard. It's a nickname that you kind of wish you had, in a way. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but his nickname was The White Death. <laughs> I can see why you would want that. <laughs> uh, but, um... <laughs> the White Death. Matt, The White Death Johnson. If only. Um, but what really helped me out, like I said, was, um, first off, he dressed in all-white camouflage. Yeah. Um, in the snow, who's going to see? Um, he would also, he would pack the snow around his gun barrel. Because, like, it would give a lot of people away, he noticed, snipers and other stuff he fought. That, that when they shot, the snow around them would move from the barrel kicking, you know. If mm-hmm. the gun was already in place and everything was built up around it, you know, there w- nothing would move. And, um, he also... He didn't use a scope because a scope he killed he killed a bunch of snipers trying to kill him because what happened is the reflections of the sun off their scopes would give away their positions and he would just turn and bam headshot you know mm-hmm. kill him and one thing also he'd do is he would put snow in his mouth to uh to that way you couldn't see the his breath you know the steam rising up off his breath. He did all kinds of shit to make himself invisible, and it worked because, um, like I said, it got so bad that the Russians sent. First off, they sent a sniper after to get him. That sniper never came back. <laughs> they sent a whole team of snipers to come and get him, but something happened to those guys. They they called a nasty case of a disease that I like to call getting your fucking brains blown out itis. They called a bad case is that, of that. Is that the technical term? That's the technical term. But um, every single time a sniper would come up against him, it got so bad that uh, you know snipers wouldn't wouldn't come out alive. Whole teams of snipers wouldn't come out alive. They ended up they they started calling artillery strikes on the woods where they thought he was. They were after they, this man, and they couldn't kill him. They couldn't hit him at all. <laughs> and like I say, he just kept getting away. And so, um, at this point, like I said, the Russians—they're getting their asses kicked in the in the combat and the fighting. This would have been at this point. This would have been late February, early March. They're getting all kinds of losses. And so, um, what happened is in March 6, nineteen forty, um, he finally got hit. Uh, during combat, he was hit in the face with an exploding bullet. Uh, <laughs> uh, they may, you never heard of bullets like that, exploding bullets? Yeah, 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 I have, but hit in the face with one? The bullet entered like his lower left jaw, and it exploded out of the back of his head. It was so bad that when the, his other soldiers, the other the Finnish soldiers found him, they thought his head was blown off. But here's the thing. He was alive. He was still alive with half his head gone, and he was unconscious. Okay, okay, fuck the Deadshot reference. This guy's Wolverine. <laughs> well, just wait. Just wait. Um, so he's dead but alive, so they rush him to the hospital to get treatment. With half a head. With half a head, yes, exactly. And so with that, I will switch over to Mr. Lucas. And so like I mentioned, um, he turned 17 and... The Marines were getting ready to launch their assault on Iwo Jima. Um, in case you don't know, Iwo Jima is about 600, 700 miles south of Japan. And the whole reason for them to take Iwo Jima is that it would have been like a valuable airstrip. I mean, it's just an island. There's not many people who live there. It wasn't very uh, strategic. The only, like I said, the only strategic importance was it make it a lot easier to bomb Japan. 
from that distance. So they assaulted um, on February 20th. That's when the Marines started the assault. There were 40,000 Marines that hit the beach. Of those 40,000, Jack Lucas was one of only, maybe the only infantryman who started the assault on the beachhead without a weapon. He just, he, like I said, he was, he was uh, a stowaway. They weren't prepared for him. The supplies were low, so he went on the beach without a gun against Japanese machine gun fire. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not really that good. Uh, but it, but he was able to get a rifle though, because he found like a dead marine floating in the water with the rifle, so he picked it up and. He headed up into Iwo Jima, and like I said, which would be one of the bloodiest battles the U.S. would fight in World War II. So he ends up hooking up with a squad of Marines, and their job is they go into the jungle. They're just they're going through the jungle of Iwo Jima to clear out the any Japanese they find. And while they're going through the jungle, they find these these tunnels. Um, and so they go into the tunnels and they begin to search them. And they find this uh, this fortification where there's machine gun and all this stuff, but there's no one there. It's completely empty. And as they begin to get closer, they realize what's going on. In these tunnels, there was another hidden tunnel. And what the Japanese had done is they all went through that tunnel and they doubled back and they had surround. They come up from behind the Marines. And oh, so geez. in the tunnel, back trap. You know they were trapped. And they opened up. They began like a firefight. So finally, Lucas finally got the fire shot. He'd been waiting like he'd been waiting three years for this at this point. Or four years at this point. Almost four. He fired his first shot in combat. And it was a headshot right to a Japanese soldier. Dropped it on the spot, killed him. And he gets ready to make his second shot and the gun jams. Which, I mean, honestly, considering that he picked it up in the middle of the water yeah, on a sandy beach, it's like that it fired once. Yeah. Didn't miss or didn't blow up on him. But, um, or just didn't have any ammo to begin with. Yeah. And so it jams, and before you know, he can think what to do next, a hand grenade rolls by him, and it stops like, right at his feet. He jumps on it. He threw it, hand grenade on. He jumped on top of the hand grenade, and he starts yelling at the rest of the Marines, "Get back! Get back! Get back!" And um, while he's laying there waiting for the grenade to, to blow up, another grenade rolls by. And he quickly grabs it and shoves it underneath, underneath him as well. And um, one of the grenades went off. The other one, one of them actually turned out to be a dud, which was very lucky. But um, if you know anything about grenades. You know, it's not like in the movies where you see a grenade go off and just all this fire and explosion goes off and it's just yeah. so epically, you know. No, what 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 fucks you up with a grenade is shrapnel, is that the all the metal from the grenade blowing outwards, mm-hmm. like thousands of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of little razor sharp bullets slicing through you, and that's what happened to Lucas. That the the uh, the shrapnel blew up. And it was trapped between him and the ground. It had to go somewhere. And so, uh, razor sharp, these razor sharp grenade shrapnel went up through his body, cut through it like you know, like a hot knife through butter. Um, and he just fell down, you know, from where the grenade blew up. And so there, these Marines, you know, they saw what he had done for them. So it inspired them so much that they fought off the Japanese, and they drove them off. And after they drove them off. They were uh, getting ready to take Lucas's dad, the dog tags off to you know ship him back home. And as they were pulling him off, they found out he was alive. He was alive and he was awake. He's like, "Fuck you guys, you know. <laughs> you only, I only got to kill one. It's not fair. It's not fair." <laughs> but um, and so what they did was they called up um some uh. They call it the corpsmen. The corpsmen are like doctors. The Marines and Navy have them, field medics. And so they come into the tunnels and start, and they bring, they try to bring them out to a ship. And the doctors, the combat medics, and the Marines, they have to fight the Japanese just to get back to the beach. Because, like, the, the medics are, like, they've got, like, the, supposedly the story is they, the medics have got, got Lucas on a stretcher, holding him one hand while they're firing pistols 
and the Japanese with the other. That's amazing. And they get him back to the ship. Um, and at the hospital ship, and later on when they got him back to America, he underwent 21 surgeries. Um, during those 21 surgeries, he had 250 pieces of shrapnel removed from every major organ in his body. Every major organ? Well, you know, like or all the internal organs. You know, lungs, heart, maybe heart. Um, probably heart. It had to be heart if they're sitting every major organ. But, yeah, um, that's, that's, the, the that's what I was thinking. Stomach, I mean, colon, spleen, whatever. He had them there. And so, seven months later, he's made a full recovery. He's made a full recovery to the point where he stands up and walks across the stage as President Harry Truman, another former member of Fight Club, um, personally gives Lucas the Medal of Honor for his actions at Iwo Jima. And six days after he turned 18 years old, he gets the Medal of Honor. He is the youngest uh, Medal of Honor winner in um, American history. To, to this day? day? As far as I, know, I have a feeling, there'll be no one else who can top that. Yeah. Six, like I said, six days after 18. Because, you know, I don't think no one... I don't think I don't think it ever happened, but that's just me. But um, so he wins the Medal of Honor, and after the war, he 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 goes back to finish school. And so he goes back to ninth grade, eighteen years old, with the Medal of Honor around his neck. I think he got some pussy. Maybe that's that's just me. I don't know. Possibly. He got his comrade sucked off. Exactly. Look, my comrades. Um. <laughs> But, um, so, he goes back to finish school. He finishes college, and he starts a family, and when he turns 40, this is like 1968 when he's 40, um, he wants to, he's always been afraid of heights, so he wants to overcome his fear of heights. He does this by enrolling in the 82nd Airborne as a paratrooper at the age of 40. And so, on his first training jump uh, as a paratrooper, both parachutes on his back failed to open. He fell 3,500 feet to the ground, hit the ground, and walked away unscathed. Wait, what? Exactly. He fell 3,500 feet to the ground and walked away unscathed. I mean, no, nothing broken. As far as I know, nope. I mean, no broken bones, nothing. He just, I mean, he was probably, I mean, he was definitely rattled, you know, but I mean, well, first of all, how is that possible? I don't... How is it possible to survive getting a hand grenade blown up in your body? I mean, come on. Well, that I can kind of see because he at least had a, a lot of surgery. Yeah. I mean, it's very unlikely, but it's still... Well, like, like I said, this man is unkillable. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, to be honest, it's even surprising he lived... Through that, much less that he didn't get anything broken. <laughs> I know, but see, that's what's so fluky about it. most people. Like that seems to happen all the time. People will jump out of planes and they seem to survive. I can't. I don't get it. Yeah, but I know you and I did it. We'd be dead as doornails. <laughs> We'd die before we even left the plane. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just take out a gun and shoot myself out of fear. Yeah, because I hate heights. <laughs> I like to think that as soon as he crashed on the ground. It was like Looney Tunes style, where the parachute then opened <laughs> after he fell. He was also like flat as a pancake. <laughs> they had that's what they, the army medics rushed out and they stuck like an inner tube or like a like a bicycle pump in his mouth. Inflated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but no. Um, two weeks after he falls, he jumps again, <laughs> and this time, but his parachute works. Um, he works fine. He gets his jump wings, and four years later, he um, he finishes his tour duty as a captain in the 82nd Airborne. And see, I I would think that he would have overcome his fear of heights just from falling 3,500 feet. You would think so. And, I, it's and, like, it's and like, not killing you. It's like, uh, Dad, um, my ball's on the roof. Can you climb up there and get it for me? I can get the ladder. Fuck the ladder. I'll climb up myself. I fell 3,500 feet. <laughs> fuck is twelve, <laughs> but um, I mean, when you think about it, you would break your leg falling from twelve feet. I know, 
Exactly. That's just... probably what happened. I have a feeling if he was going to die, it would be something like that. He would trip over his own feet and like fall down the steps, and that would kill him. You know, he'd break his neck. But um, but no, in two thousand eight, um, when Lucas was eighty, cancer managed to do something that a Japanese hand grenade and not even the forces of gravity could do. It killed him. He died of cancer in 2008 at the age of 80. Oh, man. Wow. Did, but, um, I, I still mm-hmm. can't believe it. It's like, okay, shrapnel from a grenade in all of his major organs. Guy five falls 3,500 feet, and he lives to the age of 80. Exactly. I mean, seriously, this dude, I told you he was tough. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, with a name like Jacqueline. Exactly, he had to be. Um, but um, so with uh, back to our fitness friend, Mister Simohea. I don't know how like he's going to top that. Like I mentioned, he got his face ripped off, and he survived. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, right. He had he has half a face. Um, and I'll show you. There's a picture of him after he made his full recovery, and it looks like the picture. It looks like he it was photoshopped. That's the only way I can describe it. His face is just that weird. He spends about a week in a coma. And when he comes out, he discovers that the war's over. Uh, we, The Soviet Union getting their asses kicked, desperate. They finally uh, agreed to a peace treaty with the, the Finns. And so what happened is um, the Soviet Union in the peace treaty, they got some of Finland's land. But in the end, Finland, <clears throat> they they won. They got the strategic victory, and they sent the Soviet Union back home with you know their tails between their legs. I mean, just it, I, it's just if you if you know anything about like what the Red Army would do in the years after this, it's just amazing that Finland, little Finland, was able to not only hold the Soviets back, but to successfully. I mean, just. To give you an idea of how bad it was, um, Finland, in the Hundred Days War, Finland amounted about 70,000 casualties. That's men killed, men wounded. Um, and compare that to the Red Army. They had 323,000 casualties. Half of those were done by the White Death himself. No, <laughs> Really? If only. If only, man. If only. But, um... But after the war, Finland, I mean, Finland kept its autonomy throughout the war. You know, the so the the Nazis never came after. I mean, they fought in the war, you know, as an ally, but the, they were never invaded again after that. Hmm. Because I mean, it's seriously. Some people they've debated was it really so much the Soviets were that weak or was Finland that strong? I think it was a little bit of both, honestly. But um. It was like a true underdog story, but um, but yeah, like I said, after the war, it took him a few years. But hey, I finally got his uh, his jaw. He was able to you know live and without the help of uh, the hospital and stuff. He got the hospital and um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, looking at a, that picture now. Yeah, and it, you're right. It actually does look photoshopped, but you could tell like exactly like. What sort of damage was left behind? Yeah. Because like, it's literally a picture of him, and half of his jaw is drooping. Yeah, that's like what I was gonna like say. Like there's like there's no bone under there. Yeah, like that's what I was gonna say. The bullet crushed his jaw, and it blew off his left cheekbone. I mean, he yeah. had no cheekbone. But um, like I said, he was able to make a full recovery, and um, after the war, like he spends like he becomes actually pretty successful at having his own uh, uh business where he hunts he's like a moose hunter and dog breeder so naturally he killed thousands of thousands of moose hopefully i assume he killed thousands of moose he imagined each of them were named boris that's what helped him but um in 1998 when he was uh 92 uh he was he did an interview they asked him how he become such you know so good at at shooting, you know, he was like, well, I just practice, you know. That's all he would say. I mean, and they asked him if he regretted killing all those people. He's like, well, I just did my duty, and I did what I was told to do as well as I could. And so he spent his last few years of his life 
in a small town in southeastern Finland near the Russian border. I assume, I like to think that he spends last year sitting on his porch watching the border with his rifle in one hand, just waiting, <laughs> waiting for Russia to make a move. Like, like uh, Clint Eastwood with half a job missing. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of him terrorizing Koreans, he terrorized Russians. And so um, he ended up dying in 2002 at the age of 96. And here, here's here's what I'll give you his uh, his statistics. I was waiting to this throughout the war. He raked, he ranked, he he managed to get a total of 505 confirmed sniper kills. Some people are are not sure. It may be more than that. That's what that's 505 confirmed, and he's been credited by some people with 542. He did all that, like I said, in 100 days. He averaged five kills a day. On top of this, there was an incident where he mowed down 200 men with a 900 millimeter submachine gun, bringing his total kill count to over 700 men. 700 men in under 100 days. Jesus. The most that's the most kills by any soldier in any war ever. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. Like, I if you count imagine. like some bullshit like a bomb, you can't count a bomb. I wouldn't count a bomb like if a like a bomber or something. Yeah, because those bombers did kill a lot of people. Bombers that's just, killed a lot that's of people. That's just taking the easy way out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This man killed 700 people. This guy went guerrilla style. He killed more people than some low level plagues do. He, I mean, he 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 come this close to committing genocide against the Russian people. Seriously, he killed more people. In a hundred days, than sharks do on an average. <laughs> the sharks do an average of like thirty years. Yeah. To, give you, to put it in perspective, there in the sixties, there was this thing called the Six Day War between Israel and Egypt. Right. Yeah. It was a short battle; only lasted six days. <laughs> Israel only lost seven hundred men. And I mean, he killed as many men as Egypt did in a war. In an entire war, and mm, he only—I mean, it was a short war, but—but yeah. but he did that all himself. Yeah, by himself with nothing like I said, with nothing but a, an old cheap rifle. God damn. <laughs> That's all I got for our two guys. So this would be the part to where we would actually get down to the combat. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I don't know what to do. Like, it's, sure, he killed 700 men, but the other guy, he fell 3,500 3, stories <laughs> and didn't die. He had all kinds of shrapnel in his major organs, so it's like, I just imagine that the uh, the Finnish dude just laying waste to him and him just st- still standing up. Yeah, but to give you an idea, like, I always like to do, like, kind of... Tale of the tape or whatever, but um, like I mentioned, uh, Lucas was big for his age. Mm-hmm. He was I don't know how how tall he ended up being, but fourteen he was five foot eight, two hundred pounds. On the flip side, uh, Haya was tiny, which added to his, some of his allure because the dude was only like five foot three, and he still you know was an unstoppable killing machine. That said, uh, where would these two guys fight? What do you think? Because obviously, Haya has an advantage if you know. If, yeah, it's snowy snow. terrain. But I don't know because you almost think, well, what's the advantage of the other guy? Like really, really, he only shot one person. Exactly, but he does. That's what he doesn't need to shoot anybody. No, he can just win by attrition. Yeah. Shoot me all you want, you'll starve to death before I die, cocksucker. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, how about this? You mentioned the uh, jungle in Iwo Jima? Yeah. Let's do it Predator style. Oh, shit. Where it's like, okay, this guy, okay. Uh, Jacqueline, was it Smith? Lucas. Lucas. Jacqueline Lucas. I don't know why I thought Smith. He's the predator in this situation. And Simo really? Hot, 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around. He's the predator because you know he's he's gung ho. He's ready he to, to go and hunt. Whereas this guy, this guy's more of a a guy in the shadows. You know, he seemed like he was a guy like I don't want to fight. He's like those guys you see in like movies and shit. Like I don't want to fight, but you I know, will if I have fight. to. And then he fights and he just proceeds to kill everybody in his fucking sight. Yeah. So I imagine this guy, since he's good at camouflage, he's the one that covers himself in mud, like Arnold in the ter- in yeah. Predator. So, you know, there's a long battle. Well, there's a long hunt, rather. Cat and, this, and mouse. Yeah, and this entire time, uh, Simo Haya is shooting. Like, he's, he's picking off this guy one, like one shot at a time. Yeah. And, of course, he doesn't die. Lucas doesn't die. Of course. So they come to <laughs> they come to a final fight, and finally Sumo Haya shows his face, and Lucas says, "You are one ugly motherfucker." <laughs> he, yeah, with the yeah with the predator face. Yeah. But um, here's how I think it would go down. There's one major organ that Lucas. Cannot, cannot do without, or cannot you know just shrug off is what I'm uh-huh. gonna say. Simo Haya takes an an perfect shot at his testicles. Oh no, not his comrades. <laughs> exactly, not his comrades. Of course, this still doesn't kill him. Here's what happens. I think what happens is you hear a. Uh, iron think as it ricochets off his brass balls. <laughs> and ricochets? Yeah. And kills Simo Ohio? No, it just ricochets wherever. I wouldn't say it ricochets back to him. <laughs> it ricochets, but it only passes through the skin <laughs> in like the in the right side of his jaw. Oh yeah, where his yeah, where he doesn't have a cheek. Yeah. <laughs> So already it's like this is just going incredibly wrong. <laughs> so Sumo Haya, of course, you know, keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. Keep shooting. I just imagine like it's like um what is it? Is it Terminator where yeah, it's Terminator T two where Sarah Connor's like shooting it. T one thousand, he just keeps walking. Yeah. That's what I imagine like, he just and he loads in another one he Lucas just keeps walking towards him. Yeah. Of course, Lucas doesn't get a killing strike. Because oh. he can o- he can only kill one person in his entire lifetime, and he already did it on that Japanese guy. <laughs> he's reached his limit. Yeah, he's reached his limit. But he won't die. And Simo Haya is getting pissed. He's getting pissed, and he's starving. <laughs> because at this point, they've been at it for days. Yeah. He, he's finished. He needs his smoked fish. So finally, in a bit of, of frustration, Sumo Haya takes out a grenade. Oh, no. And throws it at him. And it explodes, just embedding a ton of shrapnel into Lucas's body. And Lucas still won't die. So finally, Sumo Haya does the unthinkable, turns the gun on himself, and blows his brains out. <laughs> But, here's a twist. He doesn't die either. No. Now he's only got another half of his face blown off. So, both halves of his face? Yeah. So what happens is... They both get nuked. (laughs) Surprise! Harry Truman's been watching the whole time he drops an A-bomb on it. Exactly. They both die from an atomic bomb because neither of them can kill each other. Truman takes it upon himself since he, he got pissed that he his his match was in a draw, so he makes sure that he at least wins one yeah. by default. It's yeah. like a wrestling match. He comes out of nowhere. He's wearing like a mask, but he's got like his glasses on over his like his mask. Yeah, the mask bomber. That's him. The mask a bomber. <laughs> and then for good measure, he uh, he pile drives Lucas's charred corpse. My God. So the winner of this match, to me, is Harry S. Truman. Isn't he really the winner of every match? 
Shouldn't he be? Maybe that's just me. Well, technically, well, Am I Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Maybe one day we got to get those two. Get we ha- we have to get a winners a, a winners tournament going. So so uh, Roosevelt and Truman. Maybe one day. The only the only problem is it's a it's been a known fact that that Roosevelt is impervious to radiation. Yeah. And he's also the manliest man that has ever existed. Yes. But we're doing it again. Every historical fight club, we break down with our love of Teddy Roosevelt. He's like our Batman. Or like, he's like the historical Batman. He's a standard by which we hold everything. Exactly. But, um, yeah, so this match, we will say the winner, for some reason, Harry S. Truman. <laughs> because, it, like I said, like, like we mentioned, it could potentially be a stalemate. But I don't know. It not. I think there's so many factors and variables in there that just depend on, like you said, the location was great because it technically didn't favor either candidate or yeah. favor either competitor. So there's really no place that would have favored uh, Lucas, or every fa- every place favors him. Or another uh, alternative could have been they could have been both. Ju- they could have both jumped out of plane and fought over a parachute like in James Bond. Well, that would have just been giving Lucas the advantage. He would have said, fuck you. He pushed him away. I don't need a parachute. <laughs> just fall. Seymour Hire crushes the other half of his job. <laughs> Apparently the ground is littered with exploding bullets. <laughs> All right. Well, that was... My God. That was a clash of the titans. Exactly. One of the closest historical fight clubs we've ever yeah. done. I, I mean, say, really, I, it only all it took was Harry S. Truman and a bomb. I will say, I think one thing that did help is that we were like necessarily we weren't as biased in this one as we were with some of the other ones. You know, yeah. I mean, say what you will about Lucas being American, Simo Ohio was the White Death. He was the White Death. When I just wish, the only thing I wish is if Lucas had an awesome nickname like that. Unfortunately, like his nickname was Jack, so. Well, his name was Jacqueline, so already it's like, how do you get over that? <laughs> well, that should have named like Old Iron Guts or something. That should have been the stipulation for the fight. Who has the best nickname? <laughs> well, yeah, then I mean, it's a runaway then. Yeah. All right. Well, well played, I say. <laughs> and yes, this has been, I guess, this installment of Historical Fight Club, where we do theoretical battle. On theoretical battlefields, theoretically speaking. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> and that has been this installment of the Dork Knights. Tune in next week. Same MB time, same bird channel. With their mission accomplished, these glamorous figures vanish as suddenly as they appear. 